Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Last month, Dave Ehrenberg, Palm Beach County State Attorney, who heads up the Sober House Task Force in Palm Beach, gave a compelling presentation on patient brokering and what has come to be known as the Florida Shuffle at the National District Attorney Association Opioid Panel. I asked him to join us. So here today to talk about patient brokering, how to recognize it, and how to avoid becoming a victim of the Florida Shuffle is Dave Ehrenberg state attorney of Palm Beach in Palm Beach County, Florida. So Dave, welcome. Great to be back on your show, Greg. Okay. So let's dig right in. When families find that their son or daughter is addicted to heroin or any of the other opioids, they immediately go into crisis mode and become really vulnerable and and can easily be exploited in a number of ways, including patient brokering. But I don't think that most people know what patient brokering really is and how they can fall prey to it. So let's start right there. What is patient brokering, Dave? The easiest way to describe patient brokering is pay to play. It is when your medical decisions are based not on what is best for you, but what gets people rich, what makes people money. There are four types of patient brokering. One, you have an offer or a payment of any commission, bonus, rebate, kickback, or bribe uh, to engage in a split fee arrangement. It's to induce the referral of patients to and from healthcare providers. So how would I recognize that? You know, I'm a mom or a dad. I'm looking for help out there. And, you know, how do I know that this is going on? Well, is someone offering to pay you Money, a kickback, a bribe, anything in uh, a value to go to a certain medical facility. For example, is someone offering you a free plane ticket to fly down to Palm Beach County to enter into rehab? That is patient brokering. That is a felony. So that's my red flag. When somebody offers me something like that, a big inducement, such as a free plane flight. Right. Now, the solicitation... And the receiving of the payment is also patient brokering. So both sides can be charged with a felony. But really, the people that we target are the marketers and others who pay people to enter into rehab, who shuttle individuals in recovery from place to place, from rehab to rehab. And it is called the Florida Shuffle because the goal is to get everyone rich, not to get people healthy. So that's the first type, or, or you, you reviewed the first type, I'll say. What's the second type? Well, the second is soliciting it or receiving it in return for re- referring patients. 
So it's a person who gets it to send people. Um, so, for example, the marketer who offers you the free plane ticket, that's patient brokering. The facility that takes money to accept you into the facility, the, to, like from the marker, the, the, uh, the facility that ex accepts a, a bribe is engaged in patient brokering. The individual who accepts a bribe is engaged in patient brokering. So it's not just the offer, it's also the receiving of the commission, bonus, rebate, kickback, or bribe. And then the final version is just aiding in it. So it's, you're all talking about the same thing. You're talking about paying to play, and the four types are just ways to encompass everyone, from the person who pays to the person who receives it to the person who helps in it. They're all guilty of patient brokering, which is a felony in Florida. So you have a lot of people here with opioid epidemic that are out there just trying to help get people into treatment. And many times, in most cases, well-intentioned. So if they end up taking a kickback from a rehab place for sending people there, that can't happen? That's against the law? That's patient brokering you're telling me? The kickback is patient brokering. It's essentially putting a head in a bed. That's patient brokering. Now, it is legal to be a marketer where you're just promoting a facility. That's okay as long as you are not getting paid on a per-patient basis. And so to get around this law, you have some people hiring marketers in-house, giving them a W-2 and just having them get a salary. But that salary disappears if there are not, say, 30 new patients a month. That's patient brokering. If it's just to be a PR agency to promote a place, that's okay. If, it's, if your compensation is in any way based on the number of people who get into a facility, that's patient brokering. So it really is, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's a fact-based inquiry. And we, I've got some examples. For example, these are actual examples. Um, there was a treatment provider who paid a sober home $500 a week to induce the sober home to refer its residents to that provider for treatment. I mean, that's, that's patient brokering. Not only is it patient brokering, it's patient brokering every time that is done. So, you know, every, every single instance, it's another count of patient brokering. So it, it's, uh, even if it's one person repeatedly who is being uh, sent there, it's still, for every time it's done, every payment that's made, that's a count of patient brokering. Wow. So how prevalent is that? It's very prevalent within the industry. It's less prevalent now in Palm Beach County because we have a sober homes task force that has targeted patient brokering. While the feds have been focusing on insurance fraud, which is a really great thing that the feds are doing, we are focusing on patient brokering. And now we have a stronger law in Florida to put people behind bars in prison for patient brokering. Um, here, it, and, and so what we've seen is places close up shop, leave town to avoid our crackdown, but others just try to disguise it. Like, for example, here's another example of patient brokering. Uh, you have a healthcare facility, such as a lab, say, for example, a lab that tests, you know, for your uh, analysis. They pay a one-time fee, and this actually happened, of $50,000 to a treatment provider to induce that provider to refer patients over 
to that lab. One-time fees, hey, you know, just, you know, it's a goodwill payment. Well, that's patient brokering. That is a felony in Florida. And it's a felony if it's a federal, um, if it's Medicare, for example, that's a federal felony under federal law. It sounds as though with some of these, families could unwittingly find themselves, you know, in, in a case like that without just without knowing about it. Um, so are there any tips on how they might be able to avoid unscrupulous operations such as these? Well, you need to be careful that your healthcare decisions are being made by what is best for you and not is what is getting people paid. So I, a free flying ticket, for example, why are you going to Florida for that rehabter? Are you going there because it's been recommended by a doctor and you decided to enter into that treatment? Or is it based in part because they're sending you a free plane ticket? If they're sending you something to go somewhere, that's, that's illegal, even if it's a good facility. It could be a good facility that says, hey, come on down. We're a good facility. We'll even help induce you to come down here by giving you money. Whether that money is in cash or a free plane ticket, it's still money. And by the way, sometimes these facilities will say, come on down. We'll loan you the money for a free plane ticket. And then they just you know, forget to collect on it. That's patient brokering. Now, this does not encompass individuals who are good Samaritans who just say, hey, I want to help you. I'm going to give you a scholarship to come down and go into treatment. I, you can live in my sober home for free. As long as that individual has no relationship to a facility, no – like, for example, if I own a sober home and I just want to give you a scholarship to live there for free – that's okay as long as I'm not in business with a treatment facility. I'm not getting any financial benefit from a treatment facility. There's no uh, commercial relationship with a treatment facility. If it's just me owning a sober home, giving some free rent because I want to give back to the community, that's okay. What's patient brokering is when it becomes a commercial transaction. In your experience, what percent of the time does it happen that way? where it's completely innocent and it's just a, you know, a freebie. A small minority of the instances are just good faith freebies. Most of them are patient brokering. Most of the time you see it, this kind of transaction, it's patient brokering. Okay. So going back to just the beginning when a family learns that their loved one is suffering and needs help, um, they're vulnerable and so they'll go online or they'll watch TV and they'll see these commercials right. with this guy in what looks like scrub, the young guy. Right. And it looks like he's there to help. It looks like he's a trained professional. Tell me a little bit about that. And I understand that that's really a call center and they're giving out leads to the highest bidder is our understanding. Is that true? Yes, we see a lot of that under the new law in Florida. When you engage in that kind of blatant, deceptive marketing, it's a crime. You can go to jail now for that. So when you see a TV ad and they have a guy in scrubs saying, call me, a number, and they imply you're going to get medical advice. In reality, there's just a broker trying to send you to their client who paying them per head. Well, that's illegal. And then the presentations that are made 
like, hey, come to this facility. It's called Heavenly Valley in Delray Beach. It's beautiful. It's on a, it's in a valley on an ocean. Well, there are no valleys, and I, I, it's probably uh, not a heavenly place they send you to. So that kind of deceptive marketing could be illegal. We're now cracking down on the deceptive marketing and can put handcuffs on people for doing this. I asked Dave how the average person can detect the bad actors. Are they paying you to staff? Word of mouth, how are their reviews? If they have a sober home, is it certified, if, if it's in Florida, by the Florida Association of Recovery Residences, FAR? I mean, there, there are questions that has some good criteria. Uh, I know that uh, Doug Tiemann and Karen Renaissance had a list of criteria to ask your provider. You just need to do a lot of due diligence. Remember, this is a very important medical decision. You wouldn't decide where to go for your heart transplant based on a Facebook ad. Would you? You wouldn't decide where to go to uh, for your lung surgery based on a on a uh, on some social media post on Twitter. So why would you do it for your rehab place? Why would you do it based on the the top ad that comes out on Google? And that's changed, by the way. You got to do the same kind of due diligence you would do for a physical ailment as you would for a behavioral health ailment, like addiction. Next, I asked Dave to walk us through the Florida shuffle. It used to be that insurance companies, before they caught on to this, would pay out thousands of dollars for every urinalysis. And so there's no surprise why this became a lucrative business and attracted a lot of shady individuals who were testing people five days a week and sending insurance bills of tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, that's something that finally the insurance company got wise to it. And now they've clamped down on the whole industry, taking down the good and the bad. You know, there are a lot of good players in this industry. And one of the things we found is the bad guys have really mucked it up for the good guys who now find it harder to get the proper reimbursement in some cases, who find it difficult to convince patients that come to them as opposed to their competitor who's paying to play down the street. So one of the tragedies in this is that not only has it enriched people who don't have an addict's best interests at heart, but it's also hurt the good providers at the expense of the bad providers. The good guys who are out there trying to help, who have a higher success rate, who are not paying to play, and they're being disadvantaged because federal law reimburses under the Affordable Care Act on a fee-for-service basis, which encourages relapse, which makes it more profitable than sobriety. So the whole system needs to be addressed and, and fixed to encourage a lasting sobriety, to encourage the good provider over the bad ones. And that's one of the things we've been trying to urge Congress to do. We're doing what we can at the local level, but we need the federal government to help. From an insurance billing perspective before, uh, an, an insurer could have been billed somewhere on the neighborhood of you know, tens of thousands of dollars just for drug testing on a, in a given right. week, any given week. And so that's been cleaned up to the point where where do things stand now? Well, right now in Florida, we have some tough laws on the books. We also have a crackdown in Palm Beach County that has – really cleaned out a lot of the bad players in the industry. 
But we've seen that some of the bad players have gone elsewhere. They've gone to Orange County, California, and other warm weather destinations where they haven't um, had, where they don't have as strong a laws on the books, or they haven't had a task force up to now in place to go after these guys. And so we've seen that this issue that was seen once as a Florida issue is a national issue. And we are urging the federal government to change its laws, to turn off the spigot, because right now we can only do so much at the local level. They need to address the reimbursements at the federal level under the Affordable Care Act. I've mentioned that already. They need to change the fee-for-service model to an outcome-based reimbursement model. They need to convince the Chinese government to stop the exportation of fentanyl into our country. That's what's really killing people more than anything else. It's the fentanyl and the synthetics like car fentanyl. The Chinese government can stop it, and they haven't. The federal government needs to clarify the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Fair Housing Act to allow local governments to enact reasonable guidelines for the health, safety, and welfare of individuals in sober homes so that we can encourage a lasting sobriety with guidelines and, and certifications so that the sober homes in our communities are ones we can all be proud of, which are getting people healthy instead of promoting relapse. So Dave, what progress has been made since our last podcast last year? We've seen a large decrease in the number of sober homes in Palm Beach County. And we know that through the decrease in the reasonable accommodation requests under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But there's no way to know for sure because sober homes don't have to register. There's no mandatory registration. There's no mandatory inspection or certification or regulations. And so we're left just with anecdotal evidence and we're seeing that there has been a decrease. And there has also been a decrease in overdoses here in Palm Beach County. We, we really have turned the corner, I believe, in our county. But I, I'm concerned that the problem is just moving to other places. And that's why we are training law enforcement and prosecutors in other communities to do what we've done, to come up to speed and learn our strategies and replicate it because we're all in this together. So I asked Dave about vetting treatment centers in Florida. I think you need to do extra due diligence, uh, check with the regulatory agencies, whether it's the uh, you can check with the Department of Children and Families in Florida to see the license, if it's a current license of any treatment provider here in Florida. Check with the Florida Association of Recovery Residences to see if the sober home is certified, if it's, it's one of their sober homes. You can check with the Florida Alcohol and Drug Abuse um, Association, FADA, which can help advise whether the treatment center is one with a, a good record or not. It can, uh, you can go to SAMHSA, a federal agency, and check out their guidelines. You can go to, uh, to Doug Tiemann's site. Uh, the Karen Renaissance has a site where they give criteria as to how, how to identify a good facility. There are a lot of resources out there now. But you just have to do the legwork. And then once your child goes to a facility, make sure that you know, stay, be vigilant that they're all of a sudden not two weeks later, all of a sudden going to a different facility. They were called away to a different facility. What's happened there very often is a, a patient broker 
came in and said, hey, I got a facility to go to. Go to uh, this one down the street. They'll even pay you to show up. That kind of thing is what happened to Jamie Daniels. Jamie Daniels is the son of the legendary play-by-play announcer for the Detroit Red Wings. And his son was sent down to Florida to a very um, very pricey and well-regarded treatment center. At some point, though, he was brokered into a sober home that more closely resembled a flop house and, and died in that sober home a short time thereafter. That is something that it was reported on ESPN. E60 had a whole story about this. And the message from Ken Daniels, the father of Jamie Daniels, is that you have to know, you know where your children are going. You need to be on top of this because he had no idea the Florida shuffle existed. And had he known, he would have been vigilant about this. But now people are on notice. Last November, Ken Daniels, the longtime Red Wings television play-by-play broadcaster, shared his story on TheAtlantic.com about his family and their heartbreaking loss and their efforts to try to save others from predatory rehabs. In the article, it talked about how Jamie Daniels went to Florida to get help with an opioid addiction traced back to painkillers he received after his wisdom teeth were pulled which was an innocent enough beginning. Jamie was battling his opioid addiction during a time when he was also a target. Well-meaning laws in the Affordable Care Act removed limits insurance companies could place on treatment for rehab. It also allowed parents to keep their children on their insurance longer, in this case, ensuring Jamie good health insurance through Ken while he tried to get clean in Florida and pursue a career at a law firm. That combination may have contributed to his death. Palm Beach County, where Jamie went to get treatment, is ground zero for a crisis called patient brokering. And young, unsuspecting addicts from the Midwest are the prime targets. Criminals lure those with strong insurance coverage into their treatment homes in order to run up excessive charges to insurance companies with the ultimate goal of another relapse to reset the entire process and extend the money-making cycle. The consistent payoff is in the relapse and not the recovery, and that is called the Florida Shuffle. Let's move along to one of the latest projects that you're working on that uh, I mentioned at the uh, the start of this podcast, and that is your work with the National District uh, Attorneys Association and helping develop those policies that, you know, hopefully this report then will go national. So tell us a little bit about that project. Well, I'm on the board of the National District Attorneys Association, which is a leading organization for prosecutors throughout country, and I was appointed by the executive committee to launch a task force under the auspices of the NDA where we would have 34 prosecutors from 30 states to come together to create a working paper with best practices, what's going on throughout our jurisdictions on the opioid crisis, what's working, and also to recommend changes at the federal, state, and local levels for our policymakers. To my knowledge, there has not been any other document like this where prosecutors are suggesting changes. And for those who think that 
This is just about prosecutors saying, hey, we need to get tougher on crime. We need to have more mandatory minimums. No, this is a, a document that thinks outside the box. It will challenge a lot of people who think prosecutors are all about convicting. This is a, a document that we're working on that will discuss not just enforcement, but also prevention and rehabilitation. And I think people will be surprised. I asked Dave about the possibility of passing laws to make it easier to clean up the criminal records for those that became victims of the Florida shuffle. Well, when it comes to expungement, a lot of that is is done by other agencies and, and not the prosecutors. Uh, you know, for our office has someone who can assist with it, but generally you have to you know, work with law enforcement and the clerk's office, and there's a process in place. But as far as whether we should expand expungement to include drug offenses for people who have been part of the Florida shuffle, that's something that maybe should be considered at the state level. We do that for human trafficking victims. If someone is proven to be a victim of human trafficking, their convictions for drug use and prostitution can be expunged. It's, it's not a crazy idea to consider that precedent for victims of the Florida shuffle, even if the person in the Florida shuffle who is a victim was a willing victim because of his or her addiction, that they took the free rent or they took the free heroin to enrich the providers, the crooked providers who put them through this vicious cycle. Maybe there should be some sort of expungement if that person cooperates and is identified as a victim. So, Dave, thanks again. This has been your second time on the show. Really, really appreciate having you on. Appreciate you, the, your depth of knowledge. And as I mentioned off, off camera or off, off uh, mic, um, I really appreciate your passion for this cause. So uh, any final comments for, uh, for us? Thanks, Greg. You know, the subject of patient brokering can be kind of dull and sort of complex, but it's important because, you know, when you're dealing with an epidemic – of unprecedented proportions, you know, you, you need to, you can't arrest your way out of it. You need to have rehab that can be a light at the end of the tunnel. But when people are sucked into rehab, that actually puts them in a worse state than they were before during their addiction, then, then that's a messed up system that demands immediate attention. And the fact that the we have elected officials in D.C. that have not made this a priority other than, hey, let's put more money out there. It means that they are ignoring this problem uh, and leading to the deaths, the unnecessary deaths of so many innocent people. It is a, it is a tragedy when we lose people to this opioid epidemic, uh, especially when we lose people in rehab. People are trying to get healthy only to be led down a path to their own demise. So I'm hoping the federal government will respond. I'm hoping that policymakers listen to us. And, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what we're doing here in Palm Beach County in the meantime. So thank you for having me on. Okay, Dave. We've been visiting today with Dave Ehrenberg, who is the Palm Beach County State Attorney, who's been doing some unbelievable work both to shut down and clean up sober houses that have run amok, as well as making a huge difference in patient brokering and educating those throughout his state on what that's all about. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people 
places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.